coming up. What an excellent day for Jesuit Dean. Well, howdy, folks, and welcome to Minute 8 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Clark. And I am Keenan Diaz. And we will be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so I'm confused. Keenan, this whole time, we might have been addressing this guy by the wrong name. So, folks, let's be clear here. We are talking about Father Marin's friend in the last minute, uh, whom we say goodbye to in this minute. In the book, this is the curator of antiquities. He is described in the book as the, quote, Arab curator. So we assume he lives here. This is his city. And Father Marin is visiting. And I had this whole thing in the last minute about how these two men from two different religions are friends, and they're working together on this dig, and they love each other, and it's a unique and beautiful friendship in the face of this uh, racism and in the face of this othering that we had back in those days and still today uh, between uh, Muslims and Christians, and just how beautiful and pure and thematically relevant this friendship was and then i pause the movie and i see that the name of this character is jesuit dean <laughs> so so this is in the uh like the amazon um uh, whatever they call it, the X-ray thing that tells you what the character's name is, or precisely. And I had <laughs> I I would never have known it except we examine this film minute by minute. So I'm pausing and I'm rewinding, and I see this guy's face pop up, and underneath it says Jesuit Dean, and I'm like, what? And <laughs> yes, folks, I know, I know that's not his name. I know that's his <laughs> title. I know that he he must be the dean of some. I I guess this is a school, a university, um, with an office of antiquities. I I don't know anymore. Okay, <laughs> up is no longer up, and I'm going through a crisis of faith. And the curator of antiquities is a guy named Jesuit Dean, and he and he hangs out with Catholic Carl and Protestant Pete <laughs> and Lutheran Larry, and they're all in the bar having a drink with the Exorcist and the Babadook. They can they can still like each other, right? Even if they're they're Jesuit Dean and Protestant Pete and all that. Oh no, of so, course. So you, all your ideas about friendship can still stand. Okay. Just as long as that still flies. Okay. So you read the book and you see that his name is not, he's the Arab curator. Mm -hmm. So then we read from the screenplay last week. So I was like, yes. did we just imagine that we're in the screenplay? It says mm -hmm. that he's the Arab curator. No, we looked it back up again. He is the Arab curator in the screenplay. Yes. So somewhere between them shooting it, casting this guy, um, Roy Cooper, who plays this character, I guess yes, they've named him. They've named him Jesuit Dean because that's what it says on IMDb as well. So at mm -hmm. some point, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to look at the credits at the end because I don't want to jump far ahead in the movie right. to look for things. But yes, at some point they've named this character and changed it. In all seriousness, I don't know why the change, because it doesn't seem to matter. It comes to nothing either way. Like, okay, fine. He's the dean of a university. We don't see the university. The university doesn't play a part in their interaction. In fact, in their interaction, he's very much playing the part of a curator of antiquities, mostly because the only time we see him is in an office surrounded by antiquities, which I assume he curated. <laughs> right. So I guess that's a question, right? Are we, are, have we been, you know, we've been led astray, I guess, by reading the script and the, and the movie. Um, mm -hmm. But our, our audiences who might have shared our understanding of this as being a Muslim character. 
Mm-hmm. You know, where are they getting that? Is it just because he seems to have been from this city? And so it's impossible that he is a Christian and impossible that he is a Catholic and impossible he's a Jesuit. Is it because he's writing in Arabic that we assume that he's none of those things? You're right. I guess he could be. I guess it could be that he has converted to Catholicism and this is like the Iraqi branch of the Jesuit missions, I guess. But that's so much more stuff that like doesn't matter. And I say it doesn't matter. And yet here I am. We haven't even started this minute. And I'm on my third paragraph in my notes about Jesuit Dean. And and just to be clear, folks, I'm not, because it sounded like I was ranting about him being uh, a Jesuit. And not, How and could not you a Muslim, be a Christian? Right? No, How no, no, dare you be a Christian? No, it was, it was the switch from a museum uh, or, or antiquities office to a school and how we didn't even really need to know that. Right. Why would they have made those changes, especially when it seems like we have documentary evidence that they shot it as a um, a museum and mm-hmm. then and then they relabeled at some point uh, upon the release, uh, you know, when they're making the credits or releasing it, that this is now a university. Right. And that that's one of the things I saw in the the Amazon X-ray as well. It's like one of the, the scenes is titled uh, Marin Goes Back to the University. And I'm like, that's a university? I never <laughs> it's a, knew it's that was clearly a, a museum. <laughs> 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 right, right. This is yeah. This is frustrating. Again, it, it's apropos of nothing. But when you're trying to when you're trying to find a, solve every mystery you can of The Exorcist, like right. as if that's possible. Again, with a well made film from mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. almost uh, fifty years ago or over yeah. fifty years ago, right? Hmm. All right. You want to look at our minute? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's open this this show up. Yeah. Um, so our minute begins with an embrace between Father Marin and Jesuit Dean. <laughs> And don't worry, it ends with Father Marin walking through a covered alleyway with this character nowhere there. Yes, so. right. Um, <laughs> which I love this character. I would like to see more of him. I just yeah, um, we were such big fans of him uh, last I mean, time yes. we recorded. He's awesome. Um, but uh, no, uh, so we follow Marin as he leaves his friend and moves into the bustling streets of Mosul, which are not, in fact, gloomy as both uh, the book and the screenplay wants us to have it, but rather the opposite. I see light. I see life. I see children in a big group of what could maybe be a field trip, probably visiting the museum. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> maybe it is a school. Okay. Fine. Um <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> uh, but what strikes me here is that the city, the world is going on without Marin. He is moving through it like he's invisible, almost like a ghost. But the book and the screenplay linger on the curator to show that he feels something leaving along with Marin, a sense of safety, a sense of peace. But we don't have that here. It's almost like nobody notices him at all. And this is reinforced in the next shot where we have a bunch of people uh, bowing in prayer away from him in what I'm certain must be a deliberate shot. Am I right? To have them oh, sure. all showing their so. butts at him? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, and the only thing I can think uh, is that with this shot, Friedkin is showing us that uh, this man does not belong. Uh, he is not of this city. He is not of this country. He is an outsider. And so here I think we have the first theme that we talked about last time, the theme of isolation. Even in the midst of this sprawling city with all its life, our man in khakis, our father Marin, is isolated. And this happens as soon as he leaves the warmth of his friend's embrace. And he's going to be alone from here on out. Even we, the audience, are going to leave him and go visit some other sad people. Um, (laughs) So he is going to 
cease to exist for a while. We are going to completely forget about him, about him, about Iraq, about this prologue, all this stuff. It's going to be like some kind of weird dream we can't remember. Oh, I like that a lot, Lester. And hmm. the, the there's this idea in film studies that film is dreamlike. Um, hmm. We use this fancy French term, which is oneric, um, ah. O-N-E-I-R-I-C. Have you heard that in, in any uh, non-film context? I'm not sure. I have, I have heard of that word. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, I wonder. It's it's so closely tied to film theory, and and the mm-hmm. idea is right that films are dreamlike. We can have plots like this, you know, mm-hmm. a whole ten minute sequence of this that just go away. And if we never saw Father Marin again, we wouldn't be questioning that until maybe afterwards, after right. we're done with the film, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And, and people compare like the movie going experience of sitting in a dark room and and having your body relax and then having images uh, incepted directly into your brain against mm-hmm. your will as very dreamlike. And then mm-hmm. even afterwards, you know. Lights come on and you you sort of have to stretch yourself awake, even though you've been awake the entire time. Right. And and, and then you even struggle to um, remember the exact details of this two-hour experience you had that was so emotionally fraught, but isn't quite logically all in place. And then, oh, you know, Lester, let me give you this uh, sort of thought experiment people have. Because oh, okay. uh, so, uh, you, you've probably experienced um, dreams that feel like movies to you. You might describe them that way. Uh, you know, like I, the other week I, I uh, woke up and I was like, oh, I just dreamed a movie. I better write that down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so you've sort of had these experiences. Um, people um, have this documented throughout the 20th century, and hmm. it's not quite documented before that, that people, okay. you know, before we invented movies, people weren't describing their dreams that way. So it's sort hmm. of an open question, like, like, did we start dreaming the way that movies are, or did we create the movies to be like our dreams? Oh, that is a fascinating question. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> Short answer: We don't know. Yes, like uh, yeah, so I, many I, things. Like so many things. Like what's this character's name ah. that we have here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so I like the idea of it being dreamlike. Um, you know, we've already talked about some logical inconsistencies with this mm-hmm. sequence that that shouldn't make sense or that feel like they are um, that they are saying things are happening that other characters aren't seeing. Right. Um, so if uh, you know your thought about him walking through and being a ghost is really interesting, especially uh, when we move on and because uh, you say in this part of it, it's mm-hmm. like he doesn't exist, right? He he walks by blacksmiths who right. then do not look at him when before yes. we had seen these people, um, you know, in the minute before who were doing their jobs and they, they're looking very intensely at him. Yes. Um, the man who's bringing him the tea. We have a mm-hmm. bunch of uh, other people at another table who just stare at him. And then he has this, um, and then the blacksmith, of course, and then he has this right. sort of moment of respite with his friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we kind of repeat the same kind of logic about him, like walking through spaces and no one sees him. And then we're going to see people again, like really, really staring at him. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. That In the previous minutes, he was being watched very, very closely. Right, um, to a point that it bothers him. Yes. Uh, but we are uh, still with him now as he moves from the light of the museum and the city into this narrow crowded street full of people all in shadow as the light streams feebly from uh the grates in the ceiling this single ray of light is just it barely manages to get in and so we see that outside the sun is still shining but here it's almost as if we are underground and then we see maybe it's a sort of uh tunnel or shaded uh pathway to protect from the sun maybe um in any case it, it sort of goes back to what you were saying keenan about time and how there's really nothing here to tell us precisely what time period we're in. I mean, it almost seems like a whole other world from the museum and the area around the museum with the students and whatnot. Um, Any reason you think Freakin chose this 
like a dark alley. It's definitely not in the book. It's definitely not in um, the screenplay. Yeah. And as you say, like um, he is walking through completely unnoticed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he keeps our attention, but everyone else is just doing their own thing around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's really interesting to go from such high contrast. Right. So outside, yeah. as you say, it's very light. And there's lots of um youth and and young people around and uh if we pay attention to the sound again right uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't it, we we've gone before he sees the curator um to this right. like heavy metal clanging and that goes away in the sequence and it's all right. just happy voices right mm-hmm. so then even even as he's going through this dark area like you might say oh you know these are his inner thoughts right it feels dark and scary um oh. the world is actually is moving on you know they're not seeing it as dark as scary um, mm-hmm. and and it's rather happy um it's rather happy sounds or at least like lively sounds. I'm going to try to pin this down. I'm going to try to explain this. This is uh, film school freshman Lester. So Keenan, Professor Keenan, um, <laughs> he starts out in the desert where he meets the devil. As soon as he does, he is filled with both purpose and also doubt. He knows what he has to do from the moment he sees the amulet. He knows what he has to do, but he is afraid. In the next scene, he is tempted to call off his final quest, tempted not to go, he's tempted to stay in the office. That's where he's wrestling with it. He's looking at the Joseph medallion, and then he's looking at the uh, Pazuzu amulet. He's turning this problem over in his mind. For how long? We don't know. We don't know, Keenan, because time, time has stopped. Could be 40 minutes, could be 40 days. But a lot of minutes or a lot of days. A lot of minutes, a lot of days. 40 of them, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. And he says, no, I have to go. He says goodbye to his friend. He says goodbye to uh, the light and the life of the city. And he descends into darkness. It is interesting that you're you're talking about like being tempted just by uh, Mm -hmm. not continuing on with the quest, which is something that um, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about in his Mm -hmm. analysis of what he called the monomyth, or you might know as the hero's journey uh, of like, and many opportunities, the hero or is given the opportunity just to stop and stop being a hero. Um, You know, in act one, that happens in the middle of act two, that happens uh, Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end before the big final bad that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, biblically, that happens like the temptation of of Jesus, um, you Mm -hmm. know, Satan goes to him in the desert, you know, which we're sort of recalling here, um, isn't, um, you know, isn't something salacious. It's, you know, I can let you be a king here. I could let you not have to be um, the son of man anymore. Mm -hmm. You just don't have to worry about these things. Keenan, you mentioned uh, the monomyth, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. And I always thought it was very interesting that this is a hero at the end of his journey. We're starting this story with somebody who is finishing their own story. And I find that really, really fascinating. Right. Um, Chris Vogler, who writes screenwriting books, interpreting mm-hmm. um, interpreting uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, he, he defines like the mentor character, say like the mm-hmm. um, Obi-Wan Kenobi as being like right. the most archetypical, uh, yes. that that is someone that is a hero from another story who is mm-hmm. now there as a mentor to give advice from their own journey and their own their own tribulations. Yes. Um, so in many ways, we have Marin here, who by all accounts, uh, looks like our main character until we find mm-hmm. out that he's not, right. um, that, da- that Damien is our main character, like mm-hmm. we we get the glimpse that he's uh, done this before. Yes, yes. Very much a Kenobi type. So he descends into darkness and this is going to continue. We're going to see him traverse a bunch of different landscapes, but he's not wandering through these streets and alleyways. He's not lost. He definitely has a purpose and he is heading to it. So I want to talk about the visual structure of this minute. Again, uh, mm-hmm. there's there's not a whole lot of dialogue here. Um, so how are we conveying, you know, a lot of what you're talking about to the audience? A lot of it mm-hmm. is in light and performance and sound, which is, you know, 
incredibly valid, but yes. I think there's some really interesting things that we're doing again with architecture and with mm -hmm. the shape of, of the scene, uh, as we talked about when we were in the curator's office or yes. uh, Dean's office. Um, when, when Father Marin is with his friend, as we have at the very beginning of our shot, we tend mm -hmm. to have a back wall that is parallel with the camera. You know, right. it, it, we have a lot of depth here, but it's not, you know, sharp angles or anything. We have one point perspective basically right. going into the edge. And it feels like if that wall wasn't there behind and we can go on to infinity. Right. And we have these tiles that um, that are a strict pattern. And then mm -hmm. as Father Marin is walking out into the courtyard, as you say, you know, full of, of life, you know, he's mm -hmm. embracing his friend. We see a pair of Arab men coming and they're, they're friends as well. And then when he is sort of alone, then that group of school children that you're talking about starts to become a diagonal line sort of intersecting mm. and breaking up that kind of harmony that, that Father Marin has when he's with his buddy. Oh. Um, so as he starts to, um, you know, to be alone, we start to have more diagonals. Father Marin's moving towards the camera. Mm -hmm. um, and then, as you point out, you know, we have this um, this line of uh, men praying uh, to Mecca um, and we have it in two shots. Mm. So the first is in these close ups of the men and they're right. forming this diagonal from upper left to lower right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when we have Father Marin come in, even though, uh, as you say, they like they're pointing their butts at him and all that. Now, the line that they're forming is going in the opposite direction from oh, the upper right. right to the lower left. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. So. So, again, like he's isolated and he's lost, but it's also, you know, it's also happening in the geography of things and and just the basic shapes we have. So mm. um, this is the kind of thing that you can really look at when you're doing the movie minute by minute. You're kind of uh, reverse engineering what the filmmakers were doing, the director. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the, the director and the cinematographer, you know, what they're doing is trying mm -hmm. to interpret what the script is is saying to us. And, and how do we mm -hmm. put that through, not just through light and things that the audience might notice, but shape, you know, composition-wise. So huh. uh, we haven't talked about the cinematographer. I'm sure we'll we'll have other times to do that. Owen Wright, oh, yes. who is a major cinematographer. Um, and then, yeah, when Father Marin goes into this alleyway, um, he starts to move, you know, um, uh, upper left to lower right in the sort of diagonal motion again. Right, right. Yeah, just in general, um, you know, people will say that like round shapes uh, are the are the most serene and secure. And then mm. if they're more 90 degrees or have a little bit more tension, more dynamism, and then these diagonals really break up the image and, and tend to be mm. the most fraught. It's just something you look at. And yeah, yeah, when we're looking at this beat by beat, it's much easier yeah. for us to do this. And some people actually take um, images and shots uh, of movies and try to turn them into, um, I don't know, using some kind of computer technology they don't know, and just turn them into like their basic shape. So basically, you're losing mm. some of the texture there, and you're just uh -huh. seeing like, what are the lines here? And um, I'm sure oh. that's very easy technology. <laughs> There's some app probably mm -hmm. for that. Uh, but, but yeah, just seeing what the actual lines are here. Right. Oh, and that is why I am so happy that you're doing this with me, Keenan, because that is not even a place that my mind goes for those things. Just uh, the choice to have him walking from left to right or from right to left or from, I'm going to use stage terms, but like upstage oh, yeah. to downstage or coming towards the camera or walking away from the camera. These are all choices that Friedkin had to make. And they all, at least in his mind and what he hopes is conveyed to us, like communicates something to us, maybe on a conscious or, or a subconscious level. Right. He might be producing these things instinctually or, or unconsciously. Um, but typically, you know, if it's someone who is a, um, a good director, whatever that mm. means, right, uh, <laughs> they tend to match up with what the audience is experiencing as opposed to being random. That is just so cool. All right. Well, Keenan, do you have anything else for this minute? No, I think we got a lot. All righty. Until next time, folks. The, the power, power of, of Jesuit, Jesuit Dean, Dean compels, compels you. you. Jesuit Dean.